Welcome to Fret Not with me, Rosie Bennett. Fret Not is the podcast that aims to demystify the learning process that we all go through in our lives, work and otherwise. I'll be talking to the heroes and the champions of our field about the lessons that have most defined their lives and their careers and help us figure out how we can learn from what they've already figured out. Nothing in life is a linear process, so let's get more at ease with the ups and the downs and realize that wherever we are in our journey, we really aren't alone. In today's episode, I talk with English guitarist, teacher, friend, and one half of the Eden Stell guitar duo, Chris Stell. Chris studied with Michael Lewin at the Royal Academy of Music, and then with Sergio and Odea Sad in Brussels. At this time, he began his collaboration with Mark Eden, forming the Eden Stell guitar duo. He's performed in over 20 countries, had concerto engagements with renowned ensembles, such as the Prague Chamber Orchestra, and has been invited to play for the Guitar Foundation of America in New York. I first met Chris when he was part of a panel for the London International Guitar Competition, must be now in 2017 or 2018, where I was in the semi-final, and Chris was a wonderful judge. He actually even got in contact with me afterwards to give me some personal feedback and some personal courage after I didn't pass to the final. This was a really wonderful conversation in which Chris and I talked about the power of collaboration, finding your voice within the guitar world and relinquishing control over the ideas that you previously had about what your life might turn out to be. Enjoy. It's been a while. How are you? Are you everything okay? Everything good? Yeah, I guess so. Things are kind of up and down, but definitely in a different way than they were when I last met you. Covid was a really good period for me, which is awful to say mm. but it was just really nice I got to spend some time at home mm. um and also have some time off and yeah. off of kind of feeling like everyone else was doing something really great because Covid yeah. just brought everybody back home and everything was cancelled and there was mm. some kind of relief in that I guess also because mm. I didn't know anyone who got really sick no. um, at least in that first lockdown and how about yourself no, well, I share, it's funny, I share exactly what you're saying. In fact, I, I was looking for, a, you realise actually, I, I was very lucky as well. I didn't come into contact with anyone that was uh, really badly affected with COVID. Obviously, there were a lot of people that were, you know, struggled a lot. But uh, for me, it was a, a chance to step off the um, the circus for a while and actually uh, reevaluate things. And actually, I think a lot of people had that. I think it was a, a good chance to sort of look at everything in a different perspective and, uh yeah, it was it was good for me. It, you know, it's tricky. It's sometimes tricky getting back onto it again in a way because you know you it's sort of thinking, oh, I quite like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It That's kind quite... of what I'm going through now. Like, because I now that concerts are coming back in a proper way. When they came back the first time, it was a bit like, well, that things are probably going to be cancelled. Then everything got cancelled mm. again. So yeah, but now um, I'm just realizing coming back to. The repertoire that I was playing pre-COVID mm. and realizing the reasons why I fell out of love with it in the first place. So yeah. I'm having this moment of like trying to break everything apart a little bit and figure out what I actually like. Because I think we spend so little time when you're in that circuit, just going from thing to thing, actually thinking of what you enjoy, which is, sounds a bit weird, really, but 
Well, no, it doesn't actually. I think that's the key. You've hit the nail on the head. I think that's the trouble. We get caught up in this sort of term. I mean, it's rigorous training and you get caught up in sort of instructions and what you think you have to do. And sometimes we lose touch of actually the whole point of what we're doing. You know, I mean, as, as you know, as a player, it's highly, highly complex. It's highly difficult. I mean, many, many hours of, of, of work have to go in to conceive these amazing pieces. But of course, it's... Uh, the danger is that we lose sight of the the end goal that we yeah. sort of get caught up with just uh no i'm completely with you on that i absolutely understand it's it's uh yeah it, it's and i have to i must admit i mean i started doing a couple of concerts last year with mark again and uh, uh yeah it was tricky <laughs> it was it was really tricky the confidence level went down a bit and uh, you know i had to build that back up it's uh, it sort of took me back a bit but i i still think it's been great to have that space and uh mm. i think it's i think it's improved my teaching that's for sure mm, that's interesting i wanted to ask first of all now i have two questions but um, yeah. i wondered when you were building your confidence back up again was it from a different place than you felt it had been built up before i think so I, I i think so and i think i think it has to be said i mean if i'm going to be honest with you um you know uh, the it was a it's been a battle for me from from the word go i mean i came from a very very quiet rural community up to London and the academy and it was a real struggle and uh, to be amongst great players and that kind of discipline and the first time round it was it, it was tough but it was a sort of like just right head down and I was very lucky of course to have uh, you know great people around me and Mark and all this so it, it worked very well but the second time I think experience and I, I, I mean I know that sounds a bit cliche but I, ju I just think uh yeah. You know, you've been through so many different experiences, so many highs and lows, as you quite rightly put it. I mean, and and what we do is full of real highs and real lows, and I think that's that's the tricky thing. It's very difficult to find that middle road. Mm. I'm not sure we want to actually. That's the trouble. That's the problem with it, because you, if you, you know, the middle road is not what we're looking for. We're looking for something really, and yeah. and there have been amazing experiences where it's just felt fantastic, and then sometimes you just want the floor to open up and think, what what am I doing? But I think the second time, I, I would say now there's there's not that sense of needing to establish or prove oneself, which I think faces all of us when we start you know and and it's no matter what you say to, to young players and young young people you know that that is what they, they feel this need to sort of establish this is what I'm doing and actually sometimes but if I could go back and do it all again just by focusing a little bit on what I'm doing like you were saying like something that means something and creating programs that mean things to you actually I think I think it's a hair and the tortoise thing it gets there faster yeah and, you know it's uh it's uh i own it now i i honestly say and it's taken 30 years but i i sort of do own it now whereas i think when i was in my 20s and 30s i didn't i was being owned by other people but that's not their fault that was my fault mm, yeah i think we probably all go through that's pretty much that feeling yeah because i think people people very rarely impose their needs or wishes on you we all develop this kind of imaginary figure mm. or imaginary public that we're trying to impress and you really rarely come into contact with those people i guess it's something that comes from something internal anyway because 
that's the thing, right? People can tell you anything, but unless it's true, it doesn't really hit. Uh, it doesn't hit home. You no, you're absolutely right. And the, the the sort of difficulty in what we're doing is that you know you sort of have to spend a certain amount of your life having feedback and you know having sort of you know being assessed, being sort of having someone tell you what they think. And the trouble is with with human beings as we are, we it's very difficult to shape that. And of course, that's exactly what we need to do. It's great if you can take that, but then allow that to become part of you and not allow it to control you. And in a way, it's just wonderful to be able to, to, to listen, but also to sort of, well, I suppose it's thinking for yourself, not to, not to think that every time someone may point something out that it's, it's completely going to crush you. It's, and that's a very difficult thing if you've been through a training where basically it is about sort of like picking you to pieces. I mean, that's why I'm very careful with the students now to sort of, uh, I, I look at it as coaching rather than teaching at that level. It's, about, it's as much about motivation and how people feel as it is about what you're telling them, because there's a lot of things, to be honest with you. I mean, some of the young players now, including, you know, yourself and other people, it, it keeps just getting better and it keeps getting more intense and insane. I mean, some of the, the things that these young players can do is incredible. I'm just like going, oh, ooh. And actually that's great because I'm looking at players. I'm looking at some of the, and I'm just taking notes. So who's learning what from who? You know, this is the, this is the wonderful thing. But I think it's that sort of um, being able to give them the motivation and make them feel good about themselves to get, and then they will, I believe, that doesn't mean telling them they're good all the time, but it does mean make them feel good about what they're doing. I think that's really important because you're only going to get the best out of someone in those circumstances. It's, you, honesty is important, but not sort of crushing people and, uh, and I was very lucky because all my teachers, Michael was lovely, uh, Sergio and Adair were lovely, and people have been very kind and very generous. And I knew in the back of my head sometimes they were saying they were being very nice, but they were always honest. You know, they were always, you know, true. And that I think that's all we have to do as players and teachers is just be truthful, you know, accept our limitations. You know, that's the thing. I wanted it all when I was 18, 19. I've got to be able to play this. Got to... And there's some things I think, well, I can't play that. I can't do this. But I can do this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of it as well, making people trying to steer them, not into choosing repertoire, but just realising what they're really good at and what they love. I think if you, get, if you get into that, I think they can be very special. I think it can be a very special thing, you know. Mm. But, uh, you said that COVID made you a better teacher. Is it in that respect or is it something else? I think because I went back to, it was the first time in 30 years after playing, because you'll, you'll know that I obviously met Mark at the academy and we've been playing ever since and then Bida came along. And I've never been the personality to carry off a full-on solo performance because of uh, j just because I'm shy really and I just find it very difficult to be up there and be the front man but I think when I when Covid came along I spent hours just playing again and going through things that I'd done with Michael and before Michael even at the academy and, and learning studies and things and um, just started to look at it again from the perspective of a young person just doing this stuff. I think it's very easy as you go on through your career to to get completely caught up with what you're doing. And sometimes very, you lose touch with the, you know, 
just how difficult this is for, for young people sort of starting out. And I think that's where it helped. I, I went through a lot of solo repertoire, a lot of studies, a lot of things. And uh, yeah, it just woke me up to uh, what's important and, and how to communicate that to, to the young students now. Um, so uh, it's had a real knock on effect to what I'm doing now. There's a lot of preparation goes into um, when I'm working with a young person now. Um, you know, I do a, perhaps more preparation than I did prior to that because of time, really. So it's been it's been nice. It's always been nice to just go, oh, yeah, I can play this piece on my own without Mark. It's quite nice sometimes, you know. So no, it's 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 been lovely. It's been just peaceful, and uh, and I think and the time to think about other people. Trouble is, you see, what we do is incredibly selfish in a way. I've had to throw everything into this. I mean, everything. Um, and I don't regret it, um, but there have been things I've done that have been completely to do with me and to do with getting through this. Not because I had any agenda, just because I was desperate to get through it and I had to hang on to it. But to do that kind of thing, you have to be quite, quite, you know, things go by the wayside. You don't think, and I, I'm going to be honest with you, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I, I was, it was all about me. It was all about why can't I do this? I've got to get better at this. And that was the wrong approach, although perhaps right for then, I don't know. But now um, I get a lot more from uh, sitting down with a, a young person, a student, and hearing them play, thinking, Ooh, wow, wish I could do that, and sort of working with them and learning from them, actually, and realising, actually, this is one thing I've realised, the more you put out there for other people, the more you get back and the better you play. It's really strange. I don't practice as much as I, because I haven't got the time now, but I think it's, I, I think it's better playing, you know, it, for, for what I do. I mean, of course, levels, technical stuff will always get better, will always grow. But for me, I feel much more grounded in what I'm doing because I'm getting it from other people give back to me. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. I'm going to ask you the first question because otherwise sure. we're going to talk for ages. And my first question is always, what's a lesson you've learned that's been the most meaningful to you? I think the lesson that's been most meaningful to me has been uh, use your friends go with your strengths and, and don't compete really. Don't just, you know, accept what you do well, uh, accept what you don't do well and don't try and hang on to that. Don't try and grab onto things and hold on to things that you know. And know. I, I think we all know as players things we can do and things we can't. To me, the most important thing is now, certainly is about uh, having something to say in what I'm doing. I, I want to be able to say, speak and uh, it, it's not about what I can do with my fingers, it's about what I can say through the process of playing. And Mark has been fantastic, I have to say. It's a very unusual thing that you would stay together for, well, well it's nearly 35 years now. Um, and that to me has been my big learning thing, allowing him to come into my life not as a competitor, not as, because uh, of course, when you're younger, you do that, but allowing, allowing other people to influence what you do and sharing, sharing the whole thing. That's the biggest lesson. When I was younger, it was all about me holding on to everything, trying to establish myself. But actually, the more you let go, the more you share, 
the better you become as an artist, in my view, anyway. Mm. What age were you when you and Mark started playing together? So we were about 19. 19, that's so young. 19, I know, it's a long time ago. And how did you get together? Was it organic? Were you both looking hmm. for something? Or what no, I don't that? think so. I mean, it was very organic because we were friends first. And I remember Michael started, uh, he had a Dodgson festival at the Academy and uh, he put us together to learn this big piece, Promenade by Stephen. And um, we were going to do it in a concert and a masterclass. And uh, Mark and I got together to put this piece together. And obviously I had absolutely no idea what to do with it. It was the most ridiculously complex piece for us. We were like, what the hell is all this about? <laughs> But we had such a laugh. I mean, it was hilarious. We were very naughty, actually, as well. We always used to get told off because we weren't ever ready and we were always... Uh, and we just enjoyed each other's company, really. Uh, we never set out to be a duo. And uh, we started doing more and more. We started... Michael started sort of giving us stuff to do and we were doing this. And I, I just suddenly thought, yeah, I really like this person. Really like working with this... Because Mark is like an absolute energy ball. I mean unbelievable you know nothing is a problem and that was a lesson for me because I'm much more cautious mm -hmm. he's much more sort of you know and um we we started working together and uh, over the course of the four years it just became apparent that what we were doing together seemed to be much more striking and much more getting much more notice and we set ourselves the task of memorizing everything and uh, making sure we'd never play from music. We'd sync everything. We were highly influenced with the Abreos and the Assads and um, were copying this. And we became almost obsessed with, with this, this sort of idea of... And then I think by the time we hit third, fourth years at the Academy, we were starting to think, well, this is, this is something we used to do competitions, the overseas league we did. And, uh, and then part lane group. And then we started to have success with that and thought, oh, no, this is, this is great. And we were, we were also having a great time of sharing that. As most musicians, let's be honest, most musicians share the burden because you're working with someone. Your solo is a very, very tough gig when you've got someone to bounce off. I wouldn't say it's easier. I, I, you know, people say, oh, you know, it's, but it's not. It's, the worst thing is when you're doing this piece, like I remember we used to play this bit of Natali and we were racing through this like quarter hacker and we we're going like crazy. I might be doing this amazing solo and I'm going boom, 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 knowing I've got to do it next. And it's like, oh my God, he's done it so well. And then of course you've got to... And then Michael said, Rob, why don't you do a postgrad together as a duo at the Academy for the first time? And we did. And it was fantastic. We had the best time and it was, and, and since then, you know, we were lucky enough to meet Sergio at Cordoba and everything took off and we just always been together. And I just, you know, love him, love him to death. He's a brother now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a great journey together. We've had an amazing time. And I think that's what's made it sparkle. I mean, there's amazing duos now. I mean, when we started, there were, it was just us and a couple of others, but now it's like unbelievable. Yeah. It's a super popular um, medium now. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, I wonder, did you find it difficult at all when you were younger? So it kind of happened, but when you went to the academy, were you set on becoming a soloist? Was that your yes, dream? Yes, of course, of course. I remember practicing my Granados on my step in the summer. The, you know, the, Just before I went to the academy, I took a year out, because I've got to be honest, I didn't get anywhere the first year. I'm, I'm not going to, but it, was, it wasn't very successful, my first year of auditions, and then it all worked out fine, and I thought, I'm going to going to bloody well do some practice and get this audition and I remember playing I used to sit on my step on my parents step in the country playing Granada singing wonderful but um 
but I was kidding myself really. And it wasn't so much I couldn't do it. I mean, you know, look, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, there's there's hundreds of players nowadays who can play a lot better than I can as far as just getting their fingers around the instrument. But it, it, I think at the time, when you're young, there's this, you think if you just practice enough and move your fingers enough, it's going to happen. Well, of course, we all know that's not going to work. It's yeah. not going to work. And, and um, it, it, that was a bit of an experience, letting go of that, because I think, and I think that's really important in developing yourself as a musician. We have to be musicians first. And you have to find the key is to find the role that's going to work for you and be happy with that mm. and not look at other people and, and want what they have. And I think that's that's crucial because, of course, I went to the academy with big ideas. And then I, I went there and I realized, oh, my God. Right. OK. Um, I was nowhere. <laughs> I remember Michael like going, right, we're going back to uh, the we, I want you to play all the Segovia soul studies. And I'm saying, what? but I've done these when I was 10 but of course I didn't I didn't play them properly I was useless but uh, and he was right to do that absolutely right to do that and I, I went along my little journey but I realized increasingly how upsetting it was for me to play on my own I found it horrible and so there was a point in which it sort of began uh, you know well you know I had to figure out why I was doing this because I don't want it to be a a trauma. performing is I mean there's a certain amount as you will know this there's you, we all go through this there's definitely you've got to go with that but I think what happened to me is I found I found Mark if that doesn't sound too sickly and and it's sort of just it it connected and I had such a great time and I sort of that helped me I was very lucky that way it sort of helped me realize oh you know do you know what I, I actually I play my best when I'm with Mark I get the best out of my fingers. Mm -hmm. When I'm playing on my own, it doesn't work in the same way because I'm inhibited. And I, I, in my, my third year of the academy, I stopped that battle and it was wonderful. It was like, it was just like, hey, actually I can do, uh, you know, and it's this thing of sharing again. When you're young, you want to own it. You want to, but actually owning it isn't about doing it all yourself. I still think guitars were unusual like that. Yeah, we are a bit more... Um set up for and predisposed to the solo journey <laughs> yeah, which works for a lot of people i mean and it does and a lot of people are amazing at that and it works and fantastic i have to tell you a little story sorry i've talked way too much but i have to tell you a little story because ben 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 verdry so funny i never forget ben mark and i were asked to play in this big brower festival in new york yeah. because we were doing the personare piece which was um fascinating piece by brower and so we said, yeah, of course, Ben, we'll, we'll go and do this. No problem. Anyway, six weeks before the concert, he, he rang me and went, oh, my God, you know, Ben, Bird, oh, my God, Chris, Chris, what you have to do, what we have to do, we have to do a solo before each. Can you and Mark come out and do a solo before, you know, and I was thinking my heart just went down to my ankles. It was like, you've got to be joking. I haven't done a solo performance since I left the academy. And I was like, Ooh, but you can't say no. It's not possible to say you have to go yes that's been my mantra actually always say yes and worry about it later bloody hell did I worry about it <laughs> this yeah. one piece caused me more hell than anything I've done with Mark you know all these big pieces all this memorization and all I had to do was play a little Brower ballad but it was just the fact and I have to say Rosie walking out on stage 
without Mark in New York. I mean, New York for crying out loud. I know, you know, the worst thing I could have done. And walking out was the weirdest experience. I practiced more for that piece than I've ever practiced for anything in my life. So nothing went wrong, but it just didn't feel the same. I felt like I was always looking around where, where um, but it was great. It, it was it was a great experience, but it sort of reinforced the fact that, that this is for other people. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to my band. I'm gonna stick to the band. That's me. I think it's so hard to let go of though. Even yeah, it in really little is. things like this is a silly example, but even with the podcast, because it means that I'm not spending every hour of my guitarist life playing guitar. Mm. There is something slightly weird about it, and it's almost uncomfortable enjoying something else. Um, and I can imagine that as well. I mean, I know it's still playing guitar, but you get so kind of, you get so changed to that idea that you're going to end up being a soloist. It's interesting you said about the podcast, actually, Rosie, because I, I, I think that's really interesting. I've suffered with things like that before, whereas if I'm not doing anything, if I'm not playing my guitar, I think I'm wasting my time. It's a really weird thing, and you always feel guilty about being distracted. And this is because what we do is so intense. And I think that unless you've gone through that journey, um, and it, let's be honest, it's so difficult. Yeah. Because, because you have to go through this incredible rigorous technical training and we all have to be at a technical level, depending on, you know, I, I, I realize there's different a bit, but everyone has to play well. Mm. And when you put that much into something, there's almost like when you do something else, it's like, well, I should be doing this. And I've been like that. I understand exactly what you're saying. It was the same when I was at the academy and I had to do piano lessons. I was thinking, well, I could be doing guitar now. Yeah. Or if, I, if I'm, you know, I'm teaching, well, I could be playing now. I could be practicing now. If I, and, and it became a real problem for a while. You, you think, oh, my God, you know, uh, I, I could be practicing now. I, I'm wasting time. I could be bettering myself. But actually what I found is that the more I've stepped back from that, the better I play. I've reached the limit of these fingers. I can't really do much more now. I could sit down for eight hours a day and do scales. I'm not going to play scales faster or better. I, I, that's it. I'm finished. So, so basically, I do play scales. And I do warm up and everything. But I think what, what I've started to do is just let go a bit and, and realize that actually experience, like everything you do, the people you talk to will filter into who you are and make you a better player. And I think this is what we see in a lot of more commercial and popular artists. The reason it's so beautiful is because it's actually based on their life experience and their letting go. I think the danger of what we do, and it, it, it's, it's necessary, of course, is that you get trapped into, a, into the rigor and you forget to let go. And, and it doesn't. And, and we live in a we live in a digital age where it looks like everyone's playing perfectly all the time. I can assure you that is not the case. You know, it's not. That's not the real world. I mean, you know, things happen. You've got to go with it. And it's so funny you said that because I that I understand exactly what you mean. That kind of need to be doing. But I've let go of that now. Finally, it's taken me you know thirty years, but here we are. <laughs> I hope I'm on the way. I don't know. It's so different. I. You know, going to menu and I had a lot of a lot yes. of even those good things that you hear are the mm. kind of things that you hear anyway. So when people say, you know, oh, but what are you going to have to express if you never get outside the practice room? You grow up with that, but it doesn't really hit home what that means, really. And I guess mm. um, playing in that competition in London was a big turning point for me.
you know, when, when I go on stage, I feel all that, or when I go in this little room where you are all sitting behind a desk, um, I feel so much love and passion and excitement. And I feel like, here I am, let's, let's do this. Let's have this conversation. You know, I've prepared this delicious meal for you full of things. And, and I know somewhere inside myself that I'm good enough to deliver that. You know, I, I feel like I have something worth saying, something worth listening to. And then you can get so sort of frustrated by that technical side of things, you know, when things don't quite go as as you hoped. And especially in competition where it kind of doesn't even really matter what you're saying, it, it's how you're saying it. Mm -hmm. So um, it doesn't matter if you have the most love for this piece ever and you did, you know, the most research and you're so obsessed with it. Um, there's a lot of opportunities in a musical career to only be judged on uh, how you execute it rather than um, what you're executing. You know, you can have a lot of heart, but still not do a lot. And I guess that's maybe the thing that I realize more and more as I get a little bit older, um, is just the idea that getting outside of your practice room, because otherwise you won't have something to express. It doesn't mean that you have to go out of your room to find the thing outside, but it's just about keeping that fire burning inside of you before you kind of dampen it down with all of this um, mm. technical, obsessive, you know, going through eight notes for one whole day for 10 hours, you know, that can really just do something to you. Mm. But I think that's been nice for me, at least that's where I am with it right now is trying to figure out that I, I am the person still in the room. I have the thing to express, but it's just finding the best way to live a life that allows those two things to happen simultaneously. You know, how can I actually practice enough? I don't need to constantly be collecting inspiration. <laughs> I can also occasionally sit down and do some scales, but, um, <laughs> but no, it's funny. That, it's just funny that you say that because so many people bring it up this, you know, what is it to be a guitarist? What is it to be a musician? And, I think we get so caught up in that we kind of forget that we're people as well and absolutely. if you're not a happy person you know. absolutely what that is absolutely right if you're not a, sorry about the dogs if you're not a happy person uh you're not going to play well and 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 you're so everything you said then chimes a hundred percent and i think doing things simultaneously is the important thing i think it's not separating the two and acceptance, just acceptance. And it'd be very interesting for me. I, I wonder when you when you play in the when you, when you played rather in, in the competition, what was going through your head when you came out? What were you thinking? How were you you say you have a lot of love for the piece, but when you performed the piece, what was going through your mind? It's a really good question. Um, with that um, Cutler piece, I think, uh, well, actually with both, because I played Monpo as well. Mm. But um, I guess when I'm on stage, I have a portion in my mind that's like this lunatic brain that I don't have in any other part of my life, which is this um, kind of saboteur that sits in the corner, like, do you even know what's coming next? What are you doing? They're looking at you. Come on, do this. <laughs> and so I have this as a small portion. Let's say it's 15%, 10 to 15% every time okay. I'm on stage. <laughs> um, and the rest is like a kind of overwhelming sense of the moment and trying to build around me that sort of 
mindscape that creates the thing that I've been trying to create in the practice. Which is often, I have to say, um, something that I realized, because that sounds really um, pretentious now, but it's something I've realized that had been holding me back for a while, because I would just be, I would kind of almost be in a telepathic way trying to like impart this uh, landscape to everybody else in the room. And I realized that that actually stopped me from being able to just execute stuff or just play it, <laughs> yeah. you know, just play the actual piece. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, but I don't regret that because it's also a really fun way to do things. Even of if course. people are rolling their eyes because you're so slow and so quiet and, you know, trying to like almost torture people with, with how soft you're playing and really make people listen. Like that's just something that everybody, I guess, kind of does in their early twenties. <laughs> they think they've found something amazing. And then I guess I just like during the lockdown as well, I just, I just realized that, you know, pe people just kind of want to hear stuff. And um, there's a part of that that I have to carry with me as well. So when I'm playing concerts now, the difference is that a portion there's still the 15% of this saboteur. But yeah, then of course. There's perhaps 20%, 30% where I'm actually physically trying to play the piece well. So having this um, more like a preventative mistakes. Um, yeah. Of, a sort of a way of a way of thinking, I guess. And it sounds like it takes something out of it. Um, but I just have to realize that, you know, I'm not David Bowie. I'm never going to walk on stage, be able to be completely stoned and just immerse myself <laughs> and everyone love me. Like we're guitarists, you know, people sit straight in their chairs. They they have to listen to you and you, you kind of have to do your bit as well. You have to walk a little bit towards people for them to walk back. So, um, but yeah, I guess, I don't know. But don't when you that. play, but when you play, okay, so when you're at home playing, when you're playing uh, on your own, not, uh, have you ever had those moments where you just, where you just, everything connects and it's just feeling, and you play beautifully and you just really, feel, you know, when you haven't got an audience, is that often, because often people say, you know, when I'm at home and I'm performing or I'm playing, I can play so much better. Have you had that experience as well? Um... Because you say try a lot. You, when, when you're talking, it's very interesting. And that, that again, challenged me very much. It's it, try to, you know, give something to the audience, try to do this, try to do that. And of course that instantly stops us from playing well. I mean, it's easy to talk about, very, very hard to do. Yeah. But, but the best performances I've ever given have been like, I'm playing, uh, not for myself, that's not the wrong, that's the wrong thing to say. But when I've just found the joy in doing it, mm. not, not particularly trying to make a point to anyone or uh, uh, just just sort of that acceptance is very hard yeah it's it's really tricky I, I I have a kind of theory for this maybe in a few yeah. minutes I'll be laughing at this but um I think because I started guitar almost immediately with the intention of being good at it yeah. Um, it's not because I loved it and I didn't have that story where I was like, oh, my God, what is that thing? I have to I have to find whatever that sound is. I have to do it. Um, I just started it and I was quite good at it. And people gave me a lot of feedback that I was good at it. And then I went to music school and then it was kind of clear that you were good at it. And there was a lot of things that you had to do. Concerts played in a particular way. Everything was critiqued quite a lot. 
Um, and I used to think that was probably part of the problem. It probably still is a little bit. Um, but I think what has kind of happened for me is that I need that little bit of, um, why can I, I can only think of the word in Dutch. This is really a first for me. Okay. Just, oh no, I need to be provoked. I guess that's the word. Oh, that's not okay. really the right word. Uh, Challenge. Find. Yeah, I need, yeah, exactly. In a kind of like I challenge you to a duel way yes um i yes. need somebody to challenge me to say come here and play play this for me and there's something about that little bit of adrenaline and that performative aspect of it because i only i only know myself playing playing well or enjoying playing when it's been in front of other people because when i was younger i didn't really see the point of practicing you know you play things that are so easy it's like why would i even waste my time <laughs> playing yes yeah. so yeah. you just play it in the lesson and then you play it in the concert and that kind of repeats itself and so i think what i found in myself is that i yeah i just need somebody challenging me you know with that yeah. little glint in the eye to be able to do anything that really makes me feel mm. excited about it which is probably a little bit strange but i don't Not know at it's all. Some, i mean it's kind of lucky i guess because it makes performing a little bit easier well that's why you're good and i mean that's no i don't think it's strange at all and that's exactly why you're good and that's exactly what you have to do to play the kind of stuff that you're playing and and to play you know it, it's not casual music it's not it, uh, there's no point pretending that somehow this is like you can just sit down and do it it takes bloody ages to get anything that's remotely sort of like i'm doing jolivet at the moment the serenade and it's just hours of going through trying to first of all work out how to actually do the damn thing but then you've got to transcend that and move away from that and try and do something that makes it uniquely special and that's what's really difficult we have this you have to approach things like that it is a challenge but it's interesting because um you know in a, in a way uh, I, I mean going to a music school and doing what you've done in a very intense way when you're very young uh, keeps pushing those challenges on you all the time and I'm not saying that's a bad thing I think that's a really good thing and obviously it is because you get to the level you you but I think I I think it's really funny it's very different from from my whole sort of if you like you know, talk about hair and tortoise I'm definitely the tortoise um, you know I'm, I'm a tortoise on acid I've really taken a long time and even now you know, I have to say, it takes me a while to work things through. But there's also a sense of, um, for me, it's, it's uh, there is a challenge, but it's now become not a challenge to what I can do, but a, 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 a more of a challenge of just finding the joy in it. Because I, I talk to students about this all the time. Um, how do you really perform, just for example, the Jolly Bay Serenade, because that's what I'm doing at the moment, which mm -hmm. is about a 12 minute piece full of problems and difficulties and things which require hours and hours of, you know, getting up and keep going at it. Um, how do you find the joy in that? Well, I think what I do now is I, I, I do it by listening to more Jolly Bay, by trying to understand him. He makes me smile. I think he's an amazing composer. I think it's incredible. I listen to some of his other stuff. I listen to Poulenc. I listen to other, other French music. And um, I love what I've started to understand is it when you play a piece, this is what we're very lucky to have. Everyone, I know that you have all the other styles that you, you know, you have these great, like you, you said, Bowie is a hero of mine, a great commercial pop artist, but also a great artist who is much more, okay, spontaneous, if you like. It's much more sort of, 
earthy, organic music. And I admire that greatly and I love it. You've got the jazz players that just seem to create as they're going along and I love all, all that. But what do we have? We have connection with other musicians through their music. And I find that very exciting. When I'm putting a piece together, it almost makes me smile sometimes. I've done like, we're working at the moment on Jolivet Tedesco, you know, a favor of mine. And it makes me smile because I can almost imagine the, these, these lovely people writing this great music. And it's down to me to try and pull it off again, to try and make that music live again. It's a bit like an actor. It, to me, I think of myself as an actor. It, it, you're looking at a text, you're looking at a score. And what I do now, which I never did when I was a student, I look at the whole picture and I, I think, right, what can we do here? This is, this is fantastic. Oh, I love this. And it makes it, I think, oh, he really has got this. I love it. I'm going to have to think about this. I don't think how, how am I going to do it technically? I think what I want to hear, and then I try to apply whatever technique are in these fingers anymore. And then it becomes a joy. It's, a, it's just like learning a role. It would be like an actor just saying, right, you've got this role, you're going to play this character. And it's exciting because you're learning about the story, the play. And there's, there's moments where I've, you know, and I'm sure you've had this, where you listen to certainly these great composers and uh, a great one for me is Shostakovich. I have no reason to have anything in common with Shostakovich at all. This is where true art is because, you know, I will sit through certain pieces by him and I will weep and I will be moved beyond belief. Nothing to do with my, I have nothing to do with, Shostakovich as a person but the connection is there there's something about listening to his music that moves me greatly and I find that incredible now to have that same feeling when I'm actually learning a piece with Mark um, uh, you know and learning a piece and putting it together that's the excitement I get and I will sit there for as long as it takes to make that work so it's not boring because I'm not just there doing a series of technical problems I'm doing something that really excites me and I love that I love the fact that somehow this guy Jolivet who I didn't know is this French geezer who's a fantastic composer had this amazing career all of a sudden I'm in his world for a while it's about human connection and that's something as if you like I like to call us actors or you know um, let's say interpreters I think we're very lucky I think it's a very very we don't big it up enough you know, this this yeah. this whole idea that somehow you know being classically trained and being is means you're you're crushed artistically is an absolute nonsense mm. yeah Ab i think it's hard like i've been um i've been kind of reading about this because i i'm planning on doing something a bit edgy so i've been trying to bolster myself i mean not that edgy but that's uh classical music edgy. i'm really interested come on edgy um, that sounds good but just I think we because we struggle so much with the idea this is something that's been apparent for a little while but I've been it's been very difficult to sort of compartmentalize it and actually put it into words we struggle a lot with the idea that we're craftspeople people used to say to me oh you're a musician I'd be like oh, no 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 I'm, I'm a craftsperson as if it's some kind of holy you know I just I do this thing I, I have a craft and I try and do it as best as I can um, and anyone who calls themselves an artist, I used to really struggle with that. I would be thinking, mm. what is this kind of delusion of your mm. own grandeur, you know, in this world? Um, but the, the thing that I'm kind of coming around to is that, you know, what we do is 
if we if what we do is a craft then what we do as performers is kind of dead because we just bring something back out for a showing something that's already written we don't even have to craft it and we mm. just show it and then we take it back and we show it and we take it back and it's actually a very unfulfilling process and it i think it gets you more hate i would say in general anyway i just came to the realization recently that i respect music too much i like composers too much like you said you know i feel like i'm meeting these people and you know, you sit in your room trying to figure out why do they write that? That's so odd. So, you know, where does this, and trying to draw the line, especially with a lot of classical guitar composers between, um, you know, what was function mm -hmm. and what was music. So I guess that's where we get this boom where all these guitarists are going back to the score and, you know, figuring out which way to play something, um, making new arrangements. And it's actually something that I've become really interested in I always used to struggle with passages that I couldn't play. Um, now that I, well, there's still a lot of things that I can't play, but in the things that I am choosing to play right now, there's not so many things that I can't play anymore, but there are still things that don't really fit with me or things that don't really convince me. Um, I love Ponce so much. There's mm. no one for me who can really do better than that. I just love, I love the whole thing about it. It's so romantic and small and, it's like all of the good things of Barrios and uh, Jose, but then smashed together and made better. Okay, um, you know, Barrios and Jose, who I also love. But so recently I've been kind of experimenting with how much of something can you change vis-a-vis um, -vis the score whilst actually staying more true to what you can be convinced is the intention of a composer. How many notes can you really change and it's still the same piece and it's more the same piece because it feels more real because the audience can be more convinced because i'm more convinced um and it's kind of fascinating because there's like i'm playing the sonatina meridiana which i never thought i'd come back to um too many things you know i just always used to say ah oh, but that bit's a bit tacky i don't really like that part and so now i thought well why don't i just go like punk and just just change it to what i think would be nice or what about if i just change it on the night according to where I am and how I feel and mm -hmm. it's been such a liberating thing because I kind of feel like I've escaped that craftsperson artist problem you know it's it's just it's kind of become I'm not either I guess <laughs> because there's always yeah. something like really egotistical that's just sorry I'm talking a lot but that's the last thing I just want to say like the the whole debate around being a craftsperson or being an artist is basically just an ego thing. People think that you shouldn't have an ego. Um, but I guess it just comes back to that. I'm just realizing more and more that if you aren't a person in the equation, then, you know, and the way people tell stories is really important. And you, if, even if we're talking about the same event, you know, uh, like if we would take that competition, which is maybe the only time we've met, but, um, you know, our stories are completely different about the same events and it doesn't make either one any less real. It's you know, it's more convincing from your side to tell your story rather than what you think I would say if you were trying to tell the story in my place. 
Um, so I'm kind of coming around to that. It's not as edgy as I promised from that. Uh, no, it's certainly very, very edgy. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, I mean, look, I keep going back to this acting thing. I think that, uh, you know, because before I did, uh, well, just I, I ran a lot, I did theatre for many years before guitar, and it was a totally different approach to, to sort of interpretation. And, you know, we don't get bored of... Uh, of, of watching Shakespeare and uh, directors will look at a play and shake it about a bit and change the context, change the sex of the characters, change the whole setting that that play is in and it brings it to life because what's important is the message and what Shakespeare is saying about the play, not the fact that it's set at this period or that. And music to a is essentially the same. Um, you, I, I think I, I think, of course, it's open to change. It's open to sort of interpretation. I do think it's quite important to have a starting point and to understand perhaps, if it's possible, um, it's sort of what the piece means to either the person that wrote it or what the underlying statement is. It's harder with music because it's so much more subjective and a bit more blurry. When you've got a text, you understand that this is a political drama or something. So you can manipulate that quite clearly and change the context. Music's a bit more. But I, I, I still think um, you're, what you say is absolutely true. I, I still think it's completely fine um, to look at the canvas in a different way and working with composers i have to say i, I mean if i always use this as, as an analogy if um johannes muller's ever listens to this he wrote the most amazing piece probably one of the best pieces uh modern pieces for guitar duo called when buds are breaking and i remember johannes giving us this piece and mark and i were just going oh my god we're too old for this i mean it's just too you know it's, it's extraordinarily difficult complex and very very beautiful and it took a, a lot of work to put this piece together. And um, so we played it for a while. And of course, after a while, uh, working with Johannes and listening to it, he changed a lot. He took out lots of sections. He manipulated it. He said, I don't want that bit in. I don't want this bit. Now, I often think if in 150 years time, someone finds the original score and tries to play it as it was originally written, that would be totally wrong because that's not what we arrange. Now, that's how free the composers are. You get very few composers that are going, no. Most composers reevaluate their work all the time. Not all, uh, but, but I think there is room for exploration. And I know for, uh, in the case of When Buds Are Breaking, the original score is now, the very original score is not like we play, but that's with Johannes's consent. And we changed it with him and we were thinking about the musical effect. The same way as when we used to study with the Assads, and I never forget doing the Tomadilla with Rodrigo, and it simply doesn't work very well. It's simply not. And Sergio used to just come up with the most amazing things um, to make it playable. Uh, I was going, and I remember being said, can, can I do that? He was going, yeah, of course, you know, you know I'm just doing you know, make, make it. All of a sudden I could play this piece, and because Sergio's ideas were not let's stick to the score absolute but let's what do you think rodrigo wants here what's the effect here yeah. okay this isn't actually quite working the way it's written how are we as the performers going to make this come to life and he made the most amazingly clever changes i can't go into it here because it's too it's too clever but all sorts of octave changes and and sort of like called not not changes of harmony but changes of voicings and things that made the piece all of a sudden uh, not easy, but playable. And all of a sudden, I could see, it was like a revelation. It's all of a sudden, oh my God, that's exactly what Rodrigo wants. 
And yeah. that's what you're talking about. This this idea that yes, sometimes you're playing something, you're struggling away. When you're young, you just think, right, I've got to do it like this because that's what's written. There is no way around. But sometimes we have to accept we're doing it all the time with Castelnuovo Tedesco. I mean, I cannot tell you how many voice swaps we do and how many times he puts bass notes in with the melody line that we, we put down. There's all sorts of flexibility and freedom and changes that we make, not to make the piece, because he's written an amazing piece, but as players to make it come to life and hopefully make it work in the best way. And I think once you find that freedom, you're off. It's great. It's... Matt, I love what you said there, because that's kind of, I guess, the word that I was struggling for. Like, that story is so telling with Janus Muller because, yeah, you know, he he made what he thought in his mind would be this piece. Mm -hmm. And then when he worked with you, he changed it for how this piece could move through you. Um, oh. So in a way, it is really useful that we have these manuscripts because you can think, you know, I mean, Ponce is the same, right? He, yes, he yes. He would write these pieces and then he would sit with Segovia and Segovia. Yes. And together they would, it's not because they made final decisions based on Segovia, but it was just, no. they made those decisions for Segovia's concerts, you know, for yes. how Segovia would play it best. And I love thinking that, you know, I think I'm a really different player than Segovia <laughs> in a lot of ways, you know, although just that came out sounding really pompous. Um, not at all, not but, at all. Um, you know, I love to imagine, like, what would he have written if I'd been in front of him? You know, I'm such a, I'm just such a different personality. I'm, I'm so soft to my own detriments occasionally. You know, I, I, I feel like I'm so thoughtful and observe and I have I, I'm not ever the first to move I'm always like the follower I like to kind of feel everything out I'm a lot more cautious um, mm. and that's why I love second movements you know I love yeah. I love that more ballad style the kind of easing into easing into it and um, having the time to get feedback back so I guess if Ponce would have been sitting with me and we would have been working on it together then a lot of those things not just technically because you know that's a really easy get out like oh yeah but you know yeah, i need to yeah. i need to change that chord because i can't do it it's not it's no, not that not it's that. like no. what would he have changed if i'd been sitting in front of him mm. and it, we have that luck that you know so many of our composers who were really amazing and prolific have been in the last hundred years which is a world we can understand a bit more because totally. i mean when you get to things like bach it's kind of difficult to imagine Mm -hmm. you sitting there and him changing I mean the the function is just different but you know with this kind of Segovia era music it's a really great opportunity to just kind of I agree I mean although uh, uh, I mean Bach is very different isn't it I mean the thing is obviously I mean I'm I'm much more suited to play I mean you're talking about when we're talking about the period of Ponce and all this it's highly romanticized and very very it's down to the performer to bring this music to life Bach is pure music in a sense but I still think uh, I still think um, that sometimes um, it can be taught in such a way that puts the fear of God in everyone. Yeah. You know, and, and actually all of a sudden you get this thing about Bach as if somehow, oh, I can't possibly understand this. And actually there's something beautiful about Bach. If you, certainly if you start um, with the right pieces, I mean, obviously don't leap straight into the chicane or something like that. But I mean, there's some Bach that's so beautifully simple, it's hilarious. And you don't need to think about it. You just need to play it. 
you know, and I, and I think this is the problem. Um, yeah, and I think it's really interesting to look at the stylistic things of what people were playing and everything. And, and I, I think this is really valid. And I, I don't, I, I think that's a really good thing to, to look at. I think it's very important, uh, the dance forms and how people dance to that. But I think that, that it, it's like seasoning. You've got to be really careful not to get too much of that because we have to, obviously, if this music is to live, we have to bring it up to date. Um, there have been all sorts of things. Bach has been used in many different ways. Some obviously not in my view so tasteful, but that's my view. Um, some much more tasteful, but at the end of the day, it's pure music. And um, I find playing Bach now, it's like, you know, it was like when I, before I, you know, before I passed my driving test, when I drove with my driving instructor, I was like this, and I was looking in my mirror and really tense and everything was, and the minute he got out of the car and I passed my test, I drove really well. <laughs> that's, that's, that's bar for me. Yeah. I, I actually quite enjoy playing it now. Not, not, I'm not going to lie. I don't play the Chicon or any big, but I'll, I'll sit here and play a little bit, a little prelude or something. I think, oh, this is fantastic. And there's nothing difficult about it. It's just yeah. beautiful. And I think that this this thing people are right, I think you're ready for Bach now, and everyone's like, oh, God, you know. And obviously, I have the greatest respect, and there are some profound pieces that, uh, and you come to pieces at a certain time, you know. There's it, apart from anything else, it's the length of the pieces, it's the structure to be able to continue, you know, to be able to carry off a Bach fugue. You have to have you you have to understand what you're doing. Of course, I'm not saying it's 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 frivolous in any way, but it's not all like that. And I think that it's really important to, um, to, to sort of get back to the, the, the sort of love of doing it and not, you know, obviously learn the rules, learn everything, but, but not to allow that to stop uh, what really is just beautiful music and actually in some ways beautifully simple. Yeah, I think there's something funny about Bach definitely because we put a lot of pressure on it. There's a lot of information mm. and a lot of people who are kind of scholars. Of yeah, Bach. yeah. Um, but it's it's a really weird one because I think in a similar way, maybe this is going to be a bit hot topic, but um, in a similar way to the Bible, it's almost like you mm. don't need to study or read the Bible to mm -hmm. kind of know what's in the Bible because all mm. of, at least in the UK growing up, basically all of modern society is based around Christianity. So even though you may never have read even one story, you kind of have an idea, you know, a couple of little things, and you can look at the world around you and basically infer what's inside. And it's, it's funnily similar with Bach because I think we kind of forget sometimes that the reason that we also think that it's so perfect now is because it just changed the whole course of music history. And so exactly. almost everything that we've ever grown up with has been in light of the fact that Bach did this. And if it had mm. been someone else, things might have slightly changed you know, or things would have been different. Um, so it's kind of funny because I think there's an uneasy innateness to playing that music. Mm. Uh, you kind of know it already. But it's because a lot of, yeah, it's just most of the music that we play now is a kind of deviation in in retaliation to this form of music but it it means either way that we become kind of acquainted with how it's set up how it works and it is highly complex certainly the fugues and the uh, the chicane and some of the violin party is highly complex writing and of course it's groundbreaking because it, it's yeah. the first of its kind so what i'm trying to say is that i think sometimes the approach is wrong because 
um, there's a lot of it that's just very pure and 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 uh, very organic. And I think if you introduce people to that first, um, it's up to them to delve how deeply they want to go. And I know certainly for, for myself and Mark playing as a duo, we have done Bach and we've played the prose, not all of them, we've played a lot of prose and fugues and they were highly challenging. And we spent many years doing those. I mean, I was about 10 years of our career playing those. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, and I think we did okay, but after a while we decided, right, this is for us, this is too much energy. We're going to go back to Scarlatti and Ramo and, and Couperon because that works really well for duo. And, but we've been there. And of course, you know, um, we've done that journey but you you learn each of us learn how far to push you know um not all of us are going to play the chicane but it doesn't matter and, and i think that that's my uh, for me anyway um the most important i i'm with you on the pond face so i'm not trying to compare the two they're chalk and cheese but i i mean the music that i get the buzz out of playing is the more sort of dramatic romantic stuff because um just like me i'm a bit of a you know I just like that kind of thing. I mean, for me, um, not talking about guitar composers now, the most important person was Beethoven. And that kind of idea of breaking out of the mold of music as a service of just itself and more of a kind of art form and actually speaking through the music, something that had never happened before. And I think he was actually, I'm, I'm gonna be honest, I think he is probably the most important um, composer ever because he took something the, the fun of, of course, like you said about Bach, is absolutely right. He harmony, contrapuntal writing, all this started there. But who made that into something that was not just pure music, but something that was actually speaking? And that had to be Beethoven. And uh, everything goes from him. And all the composers we have as guitarists, all of them, uh, you know, uh, all this sort of romantic idiom, Casanova, Tedesco, Ponte, all these, it's all about sort of bringing themselves to the table. I love that. And that goes back to what we were saying about just communicating with someone writing. And that's why I like it. I feel in touch with, with, with that. It, it, maybe it's an overindulgence, I don't know, but that's, that's why I love it. And then if you do that, if you connect with the person writing, if you enjoy the process, the performance is just the end product. It's just, it, it's not, you're not going, oh, I've got this concert, I've got to play this, I've got to do this, oh my God, I've got to do this. It, the performance is just the cherry on the cake. It's like, okay, who wants to hear this? because this is great, you're going to love this. And then we get into the sort of more inspirational field that we see commercial musicians when they just get up on stage, they go, yeah, we're going to play something now. We, we, you know, that's what we want to get to. We want to get to this place where you're sharing, you want to go, you've got to hear this. This is amazing. The piece becomes more important than us. Well, I, I, actually, I think that this conversation has been really lovely. I think I'm not even going to, unless you have something that you desperately want to say, um, Never say that to me, Rosie, because I'll talk for hours. So don't, uh, I'm like my mother. I'm like my mother, I'll go on and on. <laughs>
there's nothing better to defend your insecurities than by having a hugely inflated ego. So, you know, and even, I mean, even myself, I think, you know, I spent a lot of years being really very um, insufferable almost with how great I wanted to prove I was. And um, so I think it's, you know, there's a bit of like policing in the world about that. But it's difficult because we kind of, I think it's really hard to figure out who you are when what you're mm. doing is so important. And totally. It's, it's very difficult when those two things also can, you know, you can meet someone, they're a completely different person to how they seem on stage. And that's mm. also very weird. And it's very, it's mm. really difficult to find yourself on that. And it's really difficult to be comfortable with it too. Mm. I have the same kind of feeling of, you know, I feel like an actor. I remember the first time walking on stage and thinking that I just have mm. to pretend. And everyone was saying to me, oh, you're so confident on stage. And I remember thinking, yeah, because I was playing a confident person. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, I think as soon as you start finding those little things, because I think a lot of musicians in early education or um, like uh, in sort of primary and secondary education, um, when you go into music college as well, because you're, even though you're now an adult, you're still kind of frightfully young. Yeah. Um, it's really difficult to find the joy in anything. So I think finding those composers that you really feel like, you know, you, know, you just really think it's a great person. Mm. <laughs> um, that's just really nice. I, the first times that that happened were really life-changing for me because I, it makes you feel less alone. When you're totally. just playing a couple of things and doing whatever, and you know, mm. and you're having to research this stuff, it feels really um, authoritarian. But as soon as you think, I really like this piece. I wonder if anyone else wrote this or wrote something about this. And then you find some other weirdo who has been researching these pieces and trying to make these ridiculous links that aren't links that you've been trying to make as well. You know, that's where the joy of kind of research yes. in inverted commas comes from. And you from. do need to, I think you do need to, we're not just playing lots of little pieces. I mean, that's not, that's not going to help. That's not going to stimulate you at all. I think you do have to create um projects and programs and i actually to be fair bless his heart michael always helped us with this and he said you know you've got to have a program and and it, it, looking back over the last 30 years everything i've done with marcus had a theme it started with uh, well it's gone from samba which was the study of brazilian music then it was personaria duo contemporary music for an island the baroque cd the, and it's always had a theme and we've tried to link that together to create a, pro a meaningful program and, and sort of immersive and, and sort of, I think that that's important. I mean, and when I say acting, I don't mean that, I mean, actors, a good actor is truthful. Yeah. Not pretending. A, a good actor understands the role and what's behind what he's doing or she and, and, and understands that. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to understand, we're not sort of putting on a show we're, we're sort of, um, we're looking at the text, we're getting very close to it, we're, we're understanding that and we're sharing it. And we're just saying, look at this. And these pieces are worth reinventing. They're worth young players looking at because they're beautiful. And, and you know, it's like, we, we don't just look at a painting a couple of times and go, right, that's it now, I've had enough of that. Let's pack it away, never gonna look at that again. The difference obviously with us is we need performers. But nevertheless, um, the wonderful thing is that every different generation brings something new. And I believe it's infinite, infi infinite, the amount of 
I listen to players all the time. And I think, oh my god, that's amazing. And it's just, it just. Mark and I had an evening uh, about about a year ago here where we just put on a Segovia record. And I have to say, Josie, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? As young players, we can be very fickle and we can be very judgmental of of, of the old masters. And you think, oh, I can't possibly play like that. What on earth? You know, when you were young, you sort of like it's very much like, no, I'm going to play like this. I'm going to play, and. Um, we sat there and all of a sudden we just suddenly realized we couldn't talk while he was playing. Uh, we, we had to listen to it. Now, regardless of what we may think, it was extraordinary artistry and unbelievable personal characterization of what he's doing with real feeling of integrity behind what he's doing. Now, when you've got that, you can do what the hell you like because he was, a, he was, just speaking the way he wanted to speak. Uh, I didn't know him, obviously. I did actually meet him once when I was seven, but anyway, that's another story. But um, basically, Segovia's voice, it's like Bream. His voice is so powerful. Mm. I mean, there's some things he plays I can't hear any other way. Every time I hear La Maja de Boya, it's Bream mm. with his big bass in. Boom, da, da, boom, da, and all this great, and you can conduct it. It's so amazing. I mean, that's incredible on our instrument. You can feel the pulse. You feel this incredible broadness to the texture. What an amazing player. But it doesn't mean it's the only way of doing it. And that's where I, I love it. I think these pieces are there forever. And we it's it's great. And we've just got to keep reinventing them. It's it's wonderful. I never get bored of it. Yeah, I think that's it's a really nice way of looking at it. Like it's just Segovia and Bream have that thing where it seems like their person, the music, and those moments seem mm. to align. Totally. To a place, you know, it's almost like this zen, zen state where it's just yeah. becomes one and there's no... It's wonderful. You know, yeah. That's a really nice way of putting it. Desperately want to say. Um, Never say that to me, Rosie, because I'll talk for hours. So don't... Uh, I'm like my mother. I'm like my mother. I'll go on and on. <laughs> stop no <laughs> um yeah this has been really great thanks what a really amazing conversation i um it's always really inspiring talking to you um well likewise and it's it was uh you know i i've got huge admiration for what you're doing rosie as a player and and for what you're doing for the guitar in general and uh let's hope we can meet sometime and uh yeah. you know maybe just share a, a nice social because it's, it's great talking under you know more relaxed sort of uh yeah, but it's lovely to see you and it's lovely to see you looking so well and so sort of like uh complete and uh keep me posted about what you're doing i your will plan. for sure I will please do sure. text me what you're doing everything and i i hope it's really lovely of you to contact me and you know well, thanks um, for agreeing to do this. It's really... Oh, my God. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. God. Well, they talk about... It, it massaged my little ego a little bit, too, you know. <laughs> yes, Have thank a you so bit. much for okay. making the time. That's <laughs> no, right. but really. <laughs> it's no, true. it, it and, is um, wonderful. Yeah, if you're ever this end, if you're ever in Brussels at some point... Fantastic. Um, then let me know, and I should let you know when I'm back in London. So uh, Yeah, please do. Stay in, stay in touch. It's yeah, been lovely yeah, because, uh, you know, we've only ever met that once and that for that one lesson, which was extraordinary. Um, uh, and uh, it would be lovely to meet you again, and it'd be lovely to catch up. So please do. Let's keep in touch. Definitely. All right, Rosie. You All take right, care of yourself. Thanks very right. much. Yeah, you too. Bye. Take care now. Bye, my love. Bye. Thank you for listening to Fretnar, and what a wonderful episode this was. 
Mine and Chris's conversation was actually really long and it was so difficult to choose which parts to cut down to put into this episode. Still, I feel like you get the feeling of the conversation that we had and how inspired it left me and I hope that it's left you feeling inspired as well. The lesson that Chris was referring to at the end just there is actually a lesson that I took with him must be in 2019 or maybe late 2018 which essentially turned into just uh, what would be a therapy session I found myself at a crossroads in my guitar life and reached out to him, went and played for him and pretty much just ended up crying for the whole lesson. Chris is such a lovely guy, he's really inspiring every time that I meet him and every time that I've seen him teach. I found him to be a real wealth of not just inspiration but information and kindness Um, Definitely if you get the chance to have a lesson with him in the future or just a chance to have a talk with him, take it um, and uh, when you do, send my regards. Anyway, I'll see you next week for another episode of Bread Now. Bye for now.